you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. We just thank you tonight that you are so awesome. God, we thank you tonight that you are absolutely incredible. God, we thank you that there is not one that stands even close to being your equal because, God, you are greater than anything. And, God, the greatness, God, we thank you of, but yet you're not so great to hear our cry. And, God, we thank you tonight that you care about us and you'll meet our every need. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Come on, high five someone around and say amen. Looking good. Come on, good to see you tonight. Going to have a good time. So throughout the summer, we're just kind of doing a summer loving thought. We're not on a theme through the whole month and for the next couple of months. We just thought we're just going to have just random messages and and just it would be really good. And I, I just really believe that God has laid a message on my heart for each one of your lives. I don't believe for one second that we're going to waste any of your time tonight. And I pray that we don't every Sunday and every Wednesday. But I just really feel a message burn in my heart. And it was so funny to sit down and prepare a message. It was like I almost forgot how to prepare a message. It's been two Wednesdays and two Sundays now since I've preached. And I was like having withdrawal symptoms. But how many people are ready to hear from God tonight? Come on, right into your circumstance tonight. You know that thing, you know that area that you need God to produce a miracle? Come on, anyone know that area, that thing? You just need God to produce a miracle. And we just really believe that God's going to do this. But can I give you a note just as we start? God mostly and mainly uses what? He uses the best producing of his life through you. You want a miracle in your life? A lot of us do, but most of the time, God's best producing is through what you and I do. Come on, it's through the actions of our life. God uses our lives, our actions, and our words. Here's one, too many Christians. Too many Christians just want to sit and say, God, just change everything. Come on now, let's just be real. They just want to sit, they want to do nothing, but they want God to do everything. They want God to fix their spouse because God only knows they need to change because I'm perfect. Come on now. They want God to fix their kids or parents, whichever way you're looking at it. You want God to fix your boss because, my God, how can anyone work for someone like that? We want to sit down and not change, but yet we expect everything to change. God first desires for you to change. God has to first begin with you. Why? Because it has to first be internal, because if it's not internal, whatever he does external, you're not going to be prepared for It's not going to be to your suit and it's not going to be to your liking. Why? Because the problem isn't really what's around you. The problem what's dwelling inside of you. And so we're going to look tonight about what needs to change inside of us. Because a lot of us can be really messed up inside. 
But yet we're sitting there saying, God, change everyone else. But yet we need to be saying, God, change me. Change me. Change me. Come on, I'm preaching and this is just the introduction. We haven't even got to the message title yet. We haven't even given a scripture today. So tonight I want to talk about what to do when you don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Or maybe, here's another title, are you ready? Because maybe this is you. What to do when you don't want to do what you know to do. Come on now, we're all on that one. Because most of us in here could not say that we're not clueless about what to do. Most of us know what to do, we just don't want to do it. Come on, do I have a witness in the house? Say something in the house. Amen, ouch, or my something in the house. Which, by the way, can I tell you this, is sin. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's sin. That's sin. You've got to understand something about sin. Quick explanation of sin. Sin is that of commission and omission. Sin of commission is this, when you do something that you know you shouldn't do. That's the sin of commission. But the Bible also spells out that the sins of omission, what does that mean? When there's failure to do the things that you know you should do and the right things. If you don't believe me, I'll throw a scripture at you. Ready? James 4 verse 17. Therefore to him or to her, therefore to us, we know to do good. And he who does not do it, what does the Bible say? To him, to them, it is sin. Do you see that? So we can turn around and say, man, I don't know what to do. But I believe most of the time we know exactly what to do. We just don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. And that's evil and wrong. The Message Bible says it that, this way. In fact, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that for you is evil. That for you is wrong. Now, I didn't say it would be easy. Did I say it was going to be easy? Did God say it would be easy? It's not always easy, is it, to do the right thing? Sometimes it's not the natural thing to do. There's so many other things that we can choose to do instead. Why is that? Why is it not natural? Why is it not easy many times to do what's right? Are you ready? Because the devil doesn't want you to do what's right. Come on, he doesn't. He doesn't want you to do the right thing, ever. Why? Because right actions produce what? Right results. Everyone with me? So what happens if we're doing the wrong things? What does that equal? Not the right things, but the wrong things. So if Satan can keep us doing the wrong things and getting comfortable with that, he's perfectly happy. Because he doesn't want us to succeed. He doesn't want us to be blessed. He doesn't want our families to prosper. He doesn't want our finances to be what they need to be. He doesn't want the joy of the Lord to be our strength. He wants us to be beaten down, knocked down, depressed and rejected. And he's fine with that. And really, here's another part to the title. Are you ready? If I haven't hit you already, we're going to hit you with this one. So the first one is what to do when you don't know what to do. We're going to help you with that. Here's the second one. What to do when you don't want to do it. Come on now. You know to do it, but you don't want to do it. Here's the third area. What to do when you don't have the strength and the ability sometimes to do it. Come on. Have you ever been in that place where you're just so tired? You know what to do. You know how you should speak. You know how you should respond, but you're just broke. You just have nothing. You're just physically bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt. You you just are spent out. But wherever you find yourself, whatever the tag may be on the title, can I remind you of the first three words? Because really the first words are the key. Are you ready? What to do. 
Come on, what to do? What does that speak? The answer is we've got to do it. Come on, the action is what we've got to do. Faith is an action word. It involves response. And it requ- Come on, action is required. Did you know two-thirds of God's name is go? Think about it. Two-thirds of God's name is go. So what does that tell us? He's a God of action. He's a God of direction, purpose. He wants us to go somewhere in our lives. So I want you to read a scripture with you tonight or just follow along on the screen. And it's just one scripture tonight and we're going to take our whole message from this scripture and we're going to explain it. So if you don't know where we're coming from with that, we're going to explain it to you. It's from Judges chapter 8 and Judges and verse 4. And the Bible says this, When Gideon came to the Jordan, the river, the river Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted but still in pursuit. Let me read that one more time. When Gideon came to the Jordan River, he and the 300 men who were with him, they crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit. In other words, when you read something like that, they perhaps had every reason and excuse not to do it. Why? I'm too tired. I can't be bothered. I've had a rough week. You don't know what's going on in my life. But guess what? They did it anyway. Why? Because they were purposed in their life to finish the job. There are too many Christians today that have too much unfinished business going on in our lives. Why? Because we're not willing to pursue, but yet let our feelings, our emotions, our offense to get in the way for what? To stop us in the progress and to take us to the place where God wants us to be. Come on, too many Christians are quitting before the end. They've heard the, that lady sing, remember the overweight lady sing, what was it? And they've quit. Come on, you can't give up. It doesn't matter who's singing and what's going on. Come on, you can't give up on that. You've got to keep on going. So let's talk about the background. Are you ready? The children of Israel, in the passage that we've just read in Judges, if you go back to Judges chapter 1 and just read through, I'm just going to quickly bring you through a few chapters tonight. The children of Israel were oppressed. Really, they were enslaved. They were working for their enemy. Has anyone ever seen the movie The Bug's Life? Anyone ever seen the movie The Bug's Life? Where the grasshoppers would come every year and they would steal away everything that the ants had prepared. The ants worked for them and they had to prepare everything, the grasshoppers. That really is almost a picture of the story of what's happening here. That the Midianites wouldn't do any work, but they would come with their enemies or their armies and they would come and they would steal all the harvest and take all the produce and everything thing that the children of Israel had worked hard to obtain. So that's the setting that they're in. So in that setting, they cry out to God. And if you would read this, God's word comes to them and God clearly tells them this. God says, if you will repent and if you will turn back to me, I will send deliverance. I mean, surely then they're going to do that. I mean, obviously, if God spoke, they, get, they didn't want it that way. They didn't want to repent. They didn't want to turn from what they were doing because they were enjoying what they were doing. And they, were, they didn't like the results of it, but they thought, if I can just check, God, there's got to be another way. So many times we try to argue with God when God gives us the clear direction and answer in his word each and every time. They wanted to live as they pleased and choose their choice. 
But yet they still wanted God to defeat their enemies. Do you see that? They're like, God, there's got to be another way. We just want to do what we're doing, but you just take care of those people. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, that ain't going to happen like that. Come on, let's just talk to each other. Come on, it ain't going to happen like that. Come on, it's not going to happen until they would repent. That word repent means to turn away from wrong and turn back to God. Think about that. It's twofold. Turn away from the wrong and turn back to God. Nothing is going to change in our lives until we turn away from the wrong and we turn back to God. But thank God, even though they were so stubborn like we are so many times, thank God in his grace, God didn't write them off and say, forget you. God says, let me find a man. Let me find a person. And God goes looking for a person. And we're going to discover this. Are you ready? It had to be God's choice because it wouldn't have been man's choice that he chose. Come on, Gideon wouldn't even have chose himself because by his own confession, Gideon says these words, I'm the least of the least. Let's bring it to where we're at right now. He's like, I'm the king of the losers. Come on, I'm, I'm just nothing. I'm waste. I'm just a waste of breath. A waste. There's no purpose for my life. But to cut a long story short, he accepts the call of God and God uses him. The first thing, very interesting, that God instructs him to do was to destroy the idol worship. To tear down the idols or the altars of Baal, that which was false religion. In essence, God was using him to begin the repentance that God wanted them to see in his heart. But the first thing had to come down and that was the places of worship then it's almost like Gideon has a second thought because he gets some stick from that. The people didn't like that. They were protecting evil idolatry. And they were like, what are you doing tearing down? That's where we worship. So Gideon's kind of thinking to himself, come on, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I mean, God, you said you were going to be with me. So with you with me, then surely everyone else is going to follow. Surely it's just going to be easy and everything's going to fall into place. So Gideon starts having second thoughts like so many times we do when things don't go exactly like we think in our lives. So Gideon then deals with a fleece. He has a fleece and he puts it out one day and he says, God, if it's really you, let the fleece be wet, let the dry be ground. The ground be dry, the dry be ground. Where'd that come from? That's my dyslexia kicking in. So anyway, it happens. So again, like a good Christian, like all of us are, we're like, oh yeah, whatever. If God, then just change it around next time. God says, no problem. I can do anything. Come on, remember, God can do anything. But remember when God does perform and God does, you better be ready to go and do. So God turns it around and he does. The ground is wet and now the fleece is dry. So Gideon says, hey, God must be in this. So he calls for an army. It's an announcement. Come on, anyone who wants to fight, we're tired of our enemy. Come and guess what happens? Great things happen. 32,000 people show up. Come on, things are looking up. I mean, it's a good start. It's still not enough because the Bible says the enemy that they were facing was so numerous that they couldn't be counted. But 32,000 is a whole lot better than where we were just a few moments ago. So he's feeling good about himself and he's saying, well, it's a good starting place. And as we get them in place, other people's going to join. Other people's going to see the need. This is great. And everything's going good until God says to him these words. Hey, go and stand before everyone and say to them, those of you who are afraid, it's okay. You can go home. So he's thinking, I mean, come on, who's going to be the wuss in this bunch? No one is. Can I tell you right now, 10,000 people walk out on him. What's going through his mind right now? 
It's easy for us to sit here on our comfy pews in our air conditioning and just everything going great in our lives. But think about where he's at right now. They need a miracle. They need a breakthrough. And all of a sudden, 10,000 people have gone. If you're doing, actually, not 10,000 people have gone. I made a mistake. 22,000 people left. And he was only left with 10,000. Sorry, simple math. Got it round backwards. So 10,000 people are left. After 22,000 people go home. Wouldn't you say to God, if you were in that situation, God, things seem to be going in the wrong direction. Can't you ever talk to God? I know I do. You know, have you ever felt in your life, come on, just be honest, have you ever felt that you're doing and trying to live for God, but no matter what you're doing, it just seems like everything's going in the wrong direction? Come on, the children of Israel felt like that. Come on, just after they left Egypt, God told them to literally go back in a circle. They could have gone 11 days journey, but God had them circle back on themselves. They're like, what's wrong? We're going back to Egypt. What's going on in our life? And hold that thought because we're going to leave them and we'll come back to them. But we're going to leave them on the Red Sea shore with mountains on both sides and Pharaoh's army. Okay, so we're going to come back to them. So say with me, I'll remind you. Come on, you're going to remind me. What are we going to remind you? We go back to the children of Israel, okay? So we're going to come back to them. So things are going in the wrong direction, 32,000 to 10,000. And God speaks again. And he's got to think, oh, man, God's got to say, man, go out and get some more people. And God says to him, well, you know what? They're all thirsty. Let them have a drink. Oh, yeah, that's cool. It's hot. Yeah, you know, good. Let's go for it. So he takes them all down to the river. And he says to the 10,000 of them, come on, guys, just have a drink. And God says, okay, now I want you to do something else. God says, see those 300 men that are not laying down and putting their face in the water, but the ones that are kneeling and bring up, that's the ones that I want to use. Come on, that's the army that I want to use in your life. What? I mean, hold on a second, God. Could we not go for the 9,700? Can we just flip it around a little bit? God says, no, that's the 300. That's what I need because God said this. If you had too many, you would take credit for it. But when there's just a few... I'm the only one who's going to get the glory. Can you see what to do when you don't know what to do? We're struggling because what about me? What about me? But you've got to understand this. God is strategically placing you in a place. Why? Because people need to see your response, the 300 men. So what? You don't get the glory, but God gets all the glory. That God's going to get the glory. Then, to make matters worse, God says, I want you to divide your group. What, 300? Yeah. I want you to divide them into three groups of 100. Gideon's thinking, man, this is crazy. What's going on? I thought you were with me. And then God says, and and you're not going to have to fight the initial battle because all you have to do is this. Just give everyone a clay jar, put a torch or a candle, a bright light in each one of those jars and give every one of them a trumpet. Come on, I'm thinking. Are you ready? I'm reading this. Welcome to my brain. Are you ready? I'm thinking to myself when I'm reading something like this, where are you going to get stinking 300 trumpets from? Come on, I mean, a trumpet is not like something everyone's got in their house, is it? I mean, have you got a trumpet to spare? Anyone can muster up a trumpet for us. I mean, you'd have to raid a few school band rooms and a few colleges. Come on, the Tigerland, the band at Tigerland doesn't even have 300 trumpets. God's saying, do this. And we're thinking to ourselves, God, have you lost the plot? 
Do you really understand? I mean, are you really seeing what we're seeing? I mean, come on, God. Have you ever thought like that? Come on, we're just being real tonight. God, are you seeing my situation or are you seeing someone else's? Because we're seeing two different things here. God instructs them to surround the enemy on every side. And on the signal of Gideon, when he would blow that trumpet, they were to break their jars. They were to let the light shine out. And then they were to scream at the top of their voices, the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And they were to blow their trumpets. What? Yeah, that's what you got to do. And in the middle of the night, when the enemy was sleeping, they did it. And when they did it, the Bible says the enemy jumped up and began to kill themselves. There was such confusion in the camp that the enemy started slaughtering themselves because they thought the person beside them perhaps was the enemy because they had still sleep in their eyes and they were all stumbling around. And the ones that didn't kill themselves and destroy themselves fled. And as they fled, Gideon and his 300 men, his army, runs after them, killing those who were fleeing. You would think everyone would be thrilled. You would think everyone in that area would be absolutely thrilled of what's just taken place. I mean, you've set us free from those who are oppressed. Rah, 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 Gideon, you're the greatest. Woo, the cheerleaders would be out, the bands, the, the posters, the banners, the, the confetti, everything. You would think everyone would be throwing a party, but they're not. I want to share something with you today. Not everyone's going to rejoice with you. Come on, not everyone's going to be happy for you and not everyone's going to be happy with you. Come on, you've got to understand, you've got to accept that in your life. That not everyone's going to be happy. Not everyone's going to feel the same joy as you do. But listen, don't let their response determine your response. And that brings us to chapter 8 where we're just at. Because we read verse 4. But in verse 1, Ephraim, who's a tribe of Ephraim, they're they're not happy with Gideon. They said to him, man, see how you are? You want to take all the credit. You could have at least invited us. We would have come. We would have come. We would have helped. They're not happy with him. And in fact, it says in verse 1, they reprimanded him. They scolded him. But what does he do? What do we do? We can learn from Gideon. Gideon didn't try to appease each one of them. He didn't stay there to try and please the ones that were never with him in the first place. But what did he do? He said there's a battle still to be won and there's people still to pursue. And what does he do? He continues, and that's where we get to. Verse 4, it says, Then Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men. I've just got to throw this out there. Notice he's still got 300 men. He hasn't lost one. Come on, what a blessing of the provision of God in your life. Come on, what you think you may be losing, I'm telling you right now, you lose nothing with God. Come on, you are the victor. Come on, not the victim. Come on, you are the head and not the tail. You're above and you're not beneath. Come on, Gideon and the 300 men who were with him. Don't expect the multitudes to follow you. Come on, it's the twos and the threes. It's the few's that are going to support you and be in your life. But the few who were with him, they crossed over. How? Exhausted, but yet still in pursuit. 
but not being helped by others. Because if you would read on the next verses, you would think, well, surely things get better for them. They cross over and they're hungry, they're thirsty, and they turn around to this person and that person and say, give me food, give me water. And every one of them denies them. Why? Because if you're looking for help for man, you're going to be disappointed. But I want to remind you something. God's all the help that you need. God is everything that you need in life. So let's bring this home tonight. How does this story apply? What is it that we need to find in this story for our lives? Have you ever been in that place where you're tired and weary? Just barely holding on. Struggling, it seems, to keep your head above the water. I really believe I've come to tell you something from God tonight. Are you ready? Here's a word from God, a prophetic word for your life tonight. Are you ready? That's not your stopping point. Come on, this isn't your stopping point. This is not as good as it gets. Oh, well, poor me, I guess. No, no, no. You are not to stop here because here is not your destiny. There is your destiny. Come on, God has a destiny in your life and to pursue and to receive that, you've got to move on. You may be tired and you may be weary, but you've got to keep on keeping on and trust him because the enemy wants nothing more than for you to say, I'm too tired, I can't do it anymore. But may I remind you, in your greatest moments of weakness, God says, that's the place I can be the strongest in your life. You've got to keep on. I'm here to tell you that tonight. Come on. This is not your stopping point. The Bible says they crossed over. If you look at that word, it means to go beyond, to get over. Come on, I like that. Look at your neighbor and say, get over it. Come on, get over it. Some of you are still struggling with something that someone said to you earlier today. Just some words that they spoke. You're still struggling. Come on, you've got to get over it. You've got to cross over. The thought is this. You've got to go through it. Oh, we like to jump over it, don't we? But we've got to go through it. And we've got to pass through. That's what it means. To go beyond, to get over, to go through and to pass through. We may get weary and tired. Let me really say it right. Are you ready? We will get weary and tired. Come on, it's not a question whether we are going to. We're going to. If you're not there right now, you're going to be there tomorrow. And if you're not there tomorrow, then whoop, watch out. The weekend's coming. You're going to find it's going to be there. We're going to get weary and tired. But we've got to break on through. What you would see in the Bible if you were to do a study, and I would encourage you to do this. Most times the Jordan River is mentioned in the Bible. It speaks of transition. It speaks of a time of transition. It's a place of transition in the Scriptures. If the children of Israel had not crossed over the Jordan, they would have never entered the Promised Land. It was that which separated them from the wilderness to being a part of the promise. Now, I didn't say it was an easy transition. Come on, when God brought His children to the banks of the Jordan River to take them into the promise, you would have thought, God would have made the river like a little trickle so they could have just jumped right over it. God happened to bring them, not by chance, but by divine appointment to that Jordan River at the time of flood stage. And what we discover is this, that a river that was maybe normally 20, 40 feet wide is now over a mile, maybe even up to two miles wide because it's flood stage. And God brought them to that place at that time time. 
I want to talk tonight about your Jordans. I want to talk about the places of transition for your life. Those pivotal moments between your pain and your breakthrough, between your disappointments and your appointments. Come on, between your breaking and your making. Come on, between your sadness and your gladness. Come on, between your misery and your joy. Between your light and your darkness, or your darkness and your light. Let me give you some Jordans that we face in our life. Are you ready? Number one, discouragement. Discouragement. That's a big Jordan. Thank you, Sherry. At least she's amening with me. Maybe you're all discouraged and now you're all depressed because I'm just talking about it. Do you ever get discouraged? Come on, I know I do. I know I do. I know for Kelly and I, let's just let you into our lives just quickly. I want you to know something. This year has been a year that we've seen the promises of God being spoken over our lives, that this year is a year of breakthrough for us in this church. We're just really believing, and that's a word that we're holding on to, a a year of breakthrough. But can I tell you, up to now, this has been the toughest year that we've probably ever had in our lives. Just in every area, it seems like the enemy has attacked us. It's got so bad. Listen to this. This is the conversation that Kelly and I have had in the house. I want you to know you're not the only ones that has this conversation. It's got so bad in the house that Kelly said to me at one time, I don't even know if I can even pray anymore because every time I pray, it seems like it makes things worse. Come on now, don't look at Kelly bad because you know you've been there too. And I I want to know something. I'm glad she said it because I was thinking it. So I'm not just letting her take the blame for that. I'll take it too. And it just so happened it was a situation with our kids. We'd really made a determination that we were really going to cover our kids every day. We pray for our kids anyway, but we really made a determination. We were going to really start praying for our children because we just wanted just to see blessings in their life. And it just seemed like when we started praying, all hell broke out against our kids. Just in situations and circumstances and everything and anything that could almost go wrong went wrong. And it's amazing what discouragement wants to do in our lives is this, it wants to isolate us. It wants to isolate us. It makes us feel that I'm the only one who's going through this. But then it doesn't only make us feel that way, but then it makes us begin to resent other people because then we start to say, well, why is it happened for them and it's not happening for me? Oh, so they're better than me. So you love them better than me. Come on. And you get even more discouraged through the isolation and the separation. But let me remind you, or maybe tell you for the first time, you've got to love Gideon. I love the story of Gideon because Gideon is a nobody. Come on, he's a nobody and he knows it. He's the least of the least. When the God says to him, you're going to do this, he says, what, me? You must have made a mistake because I'm from the weakest, the least. There is no way that's going to happen. But I want you to see something. A nobody had an encounter with somebody. Come on, a nobody had an encounter with a somebody that changed everything in his life. He's a different person. And that gives me hope in my times of discouragement that if God could call him and help him who was a nobody, come on, surely God could use my life and God could help me. Come on, I may be weak. I may be the least, I may not be the smartest, I may not be the prettiest, the most handsome, I may not have it all together. But aren't you glad that God looks beyond your abilities and sees his ability in your life? 
his ability that's able to work in your life. Because discouragement, like most of our Jordans, is a stumbling block. Let me, let me just show you this. I know I've, I've used this illustration before, but I want to show you this. Discouragement can be a stumbling block in our life. What is a stumbling block? A stumbling block, I'll come up here so everyone can see. A stumbling block is something that's set in our path to make us stumble or to fall. So discouragement is one of the things, one of those transitional times that the enemy wants us to get so discouraged so what when we come up to it, we'll just trip and we'll fall. And we'll just give up. But what you don't realize or what the enemy needs to be reminded of is this. That which is a stumbling block can also be used to be, are you ready for this? A stepping stone. And the only thing that's different in what it is, is my attitude towards it. My response towards it changes it from being that which will leave me depressed and miserable and down and discouraged to what? Rising up above that and declaring the fact that greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. God's not given me fear, discouragement, but God's given me power, ability and a soundness of mind. Come on, you can turn those things into a stepping stone. Here's a scripture for you. Ready? Samuel, 1 Samuel Chapter 30 and verse 6, it says, David was greatly distressed. He was greatly discouraged. For his people around him spoke of stone in him because of the souls of the people was grieved. I haven't got time to go into it, but the enemy had come and taken all of their families and everything of them. Everyone was mad at David, but what does David do? Does he take that opportunity to be depressed and discouraged? What does he do? He's human like every one of us. But what did he choose to do? I'm going to turn this around. And what did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. You know what I think David did? I think David went into his house and he began to stroke that Come on, that bear rug that he had hanging on that wall. Come on, I I think he just began to rub his toes through that lion's skin that he had on the floor of his house. He began to remind himself, God, you killed a bear through me, you killed a lion through me. I think he began to look at that sword of, come on, Goliath. And he began to remember what God, why? He began to reflect on all the things that God had brought him through in his life. And I want to tell you right now that God hasn't brought you this far to leave you right now. But the only reason it feels like God has left you is because you quit and give up and you allow your Jordan to overwhelm you. Too tired, I'm too weary. Come on, anyone get in this tonight? Here's another Jordan, you ready? Sickness. Sickness can be a big Jordan. Let's face the sicknesses of our life can be in two categories. We can have sicknesses that are just momentary, you know, just a couple of days of the flu or something that just puts you in your bed for a few days and you're, you're going to get over that, maybe a cough or a cold. But there can also be sicknesses that are lasting, that every day that you wake up with that sickness and doctors have given you indication of what, you're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. There's no hope. And so what does that Jordan do for us? It makes us again question God because we begin to say, okay, God, I know that you're my healer, but what's up? Come on, God, why are you not healing me? And then the enemy will tell us, well, it's your fault. It's not God because he is the healer. You see, scripture, Satan knows the scripture. He's going to use it against you. He used it against Jesus. So don't think he's not going to use it against you. He's going to use it to condemn you, to make you feel worthless and put you into a state of discouragement. Why am I not being healed? Can I show you something that God showed me today? The Bible speaks about in the New Testament when people came to Jesus. 
The thought that came from the mouth of Jesus in the regards to that which was healing taking place in people's lives was this, that they would be healed to show the glory of God. Everyone with me with that? That their healing would show forth the glory of God. You know what God showed me today? Are you ready? If you're not being healed, maybe God desires to use your sickness to still bring him glory. Well, if I'm healed, I'm giving glory to God. So what does that mean? If I'm sick, I'm not. What about maybe if God can use that place where you're at to still bring glory to him? How does he do that? By the way you respond to it, because everyone's watching. But when you're still hands up in church and you're still praising God and you're not letting that thing beat you, don't tell me that other people are thinking you're cursed. You're bringing glory to God through that. Come on, come on. Healing brings glory to God. But maybe the fact of us not being healed, God can use that state to still bring glory to him. And We've got to understand that. Why am I still suffering? I want to tell you right now, I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. It's not for us to always understand but it is for us to keep going. I heard a message once of a, a young man who lost a young child and a, a family that lost a child and the preacher was going to the house and he didn't know what to say and, and when he stepped in, he tried to condone them and, and they, they, there was no understanding to the situation. It was tough. And the preacher was struggling for what to say and the father stopped him and said, God has spoken to me and here's what God has spoken to me. And I believe what God has spoken to him, you need to hear tonight. Are you ready? Here's what that man says. I refuse to change what I believe about God for what I don't understand. Come on, God's still the healer. I just don't understand why he's not healing me. But guess what? I refuse to change my belief on the fact he's a healer just because it's not happening and I don't understand. Come on, I don't understand why I'm not in that peace and the prosperity in my life right now. But you know what? He is that and I believe that from God's word. Come on, we've got to get to a place where we refuse to change what we believe about God for what we don't understand. Here's another Jordan, you ready? Fear. Fear. Really, fear is a lack of faith. We don't like to label it that way, but that's what it is. It's the ability the inability to fully believe God and take him at his word. What does the Bible say? You ready? 1 John 4 verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. You know the love that it's talking about in 1 John? God is love. So there is no fear in God because perfect God or perfect relationship with God and trusting God casts out all fear. Fear. So here's the thought. Are you ready? A perfect love relationship with God will leave no room in your life for that which is imperfect. Pete talked about it Sunday, light and darkness. What do we know about light and darkness is this. Darkness cannot stay in the presence of light. Light expels darkness. And in fact, are you ready for this? The only reason there's darkness is because there's absence of light. God didn't create darkness. He created light. Darkness is created by us, by the absence of the presence and the light and the illumination of God. That's what creates the darkness in our life. Come on, what does fear want to do in your life? It makes you want to look at yourself, your circumstances, instead of God, doesn't it? 
you begin to look and say, how can this happen? Because this, there's no way, there's not enough money. The, the fear makes you want to look at yourself and your circumstances instead of God. And what does it do to your circumstances? It presents them as giants, doesn't it? it makes them look so big and bad. But I want you to know something about fear. Are you ready? Fear is the dark room where Satan develops his negatives. Come on, think about that. Fear is a dark room. You ever do photography and there was a dark room where you had to develop those things? Come on, fear is the dark room where Satan wants to develop his negatives. Gideon with only 300 men, but God on their side won the battle. Oh, he's still tired. He still wore down, but God's still with him. Come on, we've got to watch that fear doesn't take us out of the pursuit. One last one tonight. I know time is gone. Are you ready? Here's a big one. Our past. Come on, the past. That can be a massive Jordan. How could God ever use me? I mean, why would the church want to use me? Come on, I've done all this and I'm all of that. I want to tell you right now, we all have a past. But notice there's only one who can go back into our past and change it. We just relive it. Come on, we just relive the past because we can't go back and change it. There's only one person that can go back and change it, and that's God. He wants to take our past. In fact, God wants to become your past so he can give you a future. That's what he did on the cross. He took your past, your sins, your failures, so you and I could have a future. God knew everything about Gideon. God knew his family tree. God knew that he wasn't anything good in man's eyes. But listen to this. God didn't see him how he was. God saw him how he could be. God doesn't see you how you were. God sees you how you should be. God sees you as the person he created you to be. Now, what do we have to do? Accept that and live that. We have to live true to that. Because Gideon saw the least of the least, but God saw a mighty man of valor. What, me? Yeah, you. God doesn't look back. God only looks forward. You know who lives in the past? Satan, because he has no future. Satan has to live in the past because he has no future. So guess what? He wants you to live the same way because he doesn't want to be lonely. So he wants nothing more for you to live in the past because when you do, you're living with him. Because God's not in the past. He takes our past and gives us a future. But God's moving forward and moving on. Philippians 4, 13, Brethren, I do not have count myself to have arrived, is what he's saying, to have apprehended, to have laid a hold of it all. I don't understand it all, he's really saying, but this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I let go and move on. It's amazing. Notice he says this one thing I do, but it's almost like it's two things. He says, this one thing I do is I let go of those things, come on, which are behind, and I reach forward. Sorry, I gave you the wrong scripture. I reach forward to those things which are ahead. And what God showed me about this is it's like a helium balloon, that when you let go of a helium balloon, guess what it does? Shoots up. And that's what happens. That's the one thing. As we let go of the past, boom, it then can propel us into the heights and into the depths and to what God has for our lives. Come on, what is your Jordan? Your Jordan could be a lot of things. Maybe you struggle with self-image. Maybe that's your Jordan. Maybe tonight your Jordan is finances. 
Come on, we could go on and on and on. Those Jordans, we all face them to stop us what? Transitioning into our promise. But here's what we've got to do tonight. We've got to stop focusing on the Jordan, but see our pathway through it. Come on, you've got to see your pathway through it. What were you supposed to remind me of tonight? Children of Israel on the banks of the Red Sea. The children of Israel thought in their own selves they were backtracking because they found themselves in a bad place. There's a Red Sea and then there's Pharaoh's army and there's a mountain. Why did God take them backwards? Why did God not bring them through? I'm telling you why. Because God wanted to bring them just like he wants to bring us to that place where God can deal with our enemies once and for all. But they still had to go forward. Look at this scripture, Exodus 14, 15. Last scripture tonight. And the Lord God said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel. Are you ready? Say with me, turn around. Turn around. What would you be doing? Hold that scripture. What would you be doing and where would you be looking if you were in their situation? I'm telling you where I would be. I would have my back to the Red Sea because I would say impossible. On each side would be the mountains and there's no way we're going to outrun that army. So you know what would be in front of me? Pharaoh's army. Come on, let's just be real. That's impossible, so there's no way. God says to the children of Israel, you need to turn around because it's time to go forward. Come on, you've got to turn around because I'm going to go God's going to take you forward. Come on, don't look the wrong way any longer. Don't allow yourself to miss out on your Red Sea experience. Because you may say it's impossible, I'm wore out, I can't take it anymore, there's no way. God says, turn around and you go forward. You trust me and you believe me. And the Bible says that when Moses stretched out his staff, that sea parted and they went through on dry Come on, you've got to cross over. And guess what happens? As you cross over and as you pursue, you can then turn around when you make it through and you can see something else. What God's going to drown your enemies behind you. God's going to drown your enemies. Why? Because they can't swim. But God can bring you through. Come on tonight, don't give up. Just bow your heads all over this place. Don't give up. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.